everybody. I'm Gary Ebersol. Richard Kipling here. And I'm Randy Schultz. Welcome to Camp Codger, a podcast for people in their golden years. Join us to hear rocking chair wisdom from three old guys. One of our regular counselors is off on vacation. So hello, Richard, wherever you are. And joining us today is my friend, John Foster, who is a car guy. Welcome, John. Thanks for having me. I uh, heard about the show and I've listened to a couple of episodes and I love it. And I'm delighted to be here. Today on Camp Codger, we've got a fun topic. We're going to be talking about cars. We're going to be talking about our first cars, our favorite cars, the cars that made a difference in our lives, and what cars have meant to our entire generation. And you know, by generation, I'm talking about old codgers, people like us and people like you. We're looking forward to talking about cars with you, and we're going to jump right in. But first, I believe we've got a few letters from camp. Gary's going to haul out the camp mailbag and tell us who's been corresponding with us. We've had a little bit of activity, but I'm going to encourage our listening audience to send us some more suggestions, give us some ideas. But from Jack, Jack basically came to the conclusion that maybe pickleball is better choice to learn than a guitar. He's decided he'll never be great at a guitar, but he might be okay at pickleball. He also had the suggestion that pickleball is rather like the fad of kale a few years ago, except you don't have to massage your pickleball. You could if you wanted, I suppose. (laughs) No, no, don't massage your pickleballs. But you can count on Jack. Jack always has good insights onto things that are happening. We have a new listener, Roger, from California, and he actually sent in a really great comment. I just loved it. You said he was at a having lunch with an acquaintance, the topic turned to favorite bands. And the guy asked him, are you a deadhead? Now, Roger's a little older like us. He's an old codger. Roger's response says, no, I'm a big fan of Myron Florin. And apparently that guy was completely befuddled. Who is Myron Florin? I know who Myron Florin is. Do you guys know who Myron Florin is? I don't have a clue. Not a clue whatsoever. Who is he? Now, Roger submits that being a true test of codger credibility, codger cred, as Roger calls it, codger cred is knowing who Myron Florin is. Myron Florin played this great accordion on the Lawrence Welk show. Uh oh! Do you guys know who the Lawrence Welk show is? I I know who the, who Lawrence Welk is or was, and I know the show, but I never really liked it. Got to be honest, I never really liked that show. Why would he even know about an accordion player? I mean, an accordion is like one of the most evil instruments ever created. One of our listeners, we won't name him was actually an accordion player as a, as a young man, and he played with Myron Florin on the Lawrence Welk Show. And we just said that was an evil instrument. Oh, John. We, we take it back. We take it back. Okay, we take it back a little bit, but all right. not all the way. Well, it wasn't evil. It was just kind of different. Yeah. Anyway, I'm with Roger. If you know who Myron Florin is, you truly do have codger cred. Randy, back to you. 
All right, so let's talk about cars. I'm going to jump right in to the 1950s, ladies and gentlemen, because that, I think for this generation, was the golden era of the American automobile. In the 1950s, the car industry got ginormous. Post-war in America was maybe the finest era for American manufacturing. Automobile manufacturing in the 50s became the largest industry segment in the U.S. and the largest ever created. Automobiles were huge, literally huge, and the industry was huge. And in 1960, one-sixth of working Americans were employed directly or indirectly by the auto industry. It was a massive part of our economy, and cars were probably the coolest thing being produced in America. The marketing was incredible. So we're going to just travel down memory, memory lane for a few minutes and talk about cars that we remember as kids and also what our first cars were. So John, what, what is your first memory of a car that you know mattered to you? Was it a family car? Was it something that you um, fell in love with just because it was cool? Talk to me about cars. First of all, I was born and raised outside the United States. And so my father was in love with German engineering. And we came to America in 1962. And with us, we brought a Mercedes-Benz, one of the first brought into the United States. It was a 300D. It was a massive piece of steel that the Germans had still had the molds for after the war. And they made this these big touring cars. So we had that, and then, then we bought a Volkswagen Bug. And of course, I immediately started tinkering with, with those cars. And I would tinker with the Mercedes because I was fascinated how that all was put together. And I would cost, I think I cost my dad tens of thousands of dollars in things I would take apart just to see how they worked. But then I always have extra parts when I put it back together. <laughs> And he didn't appreciate it, but he never said, don't work on the Mercedes, work on the Volkswagen Bug, which were a dime a dozen in those years. And so I don't know what his thinking was. So those were our first two cars that we had in America. There's no favorites. They're all kind of defining cars because in the era or the period when you had a specific car, it meant something to you. My first car was a 55 Chevy. Not a cool 55 Chevy. It was the cheapest Chevy my grandfather could ever buy. Six-cylinder, three-speed on the on the Three column. on the tree. Three, three on, on the, the tree. tree. Exactly. Was that a, a Bel Air? Oh, it was below Bel Air. It had oh, black okay. trim around the windows. It was called a salesman's coupe. So that was a pretty good car to have in high school. But cars were defining for guys. You know, the old cliche about California is you are what you drive. And so if you're driving a 55 Chevy in high school, you did okay. Even if you were the nerdy guy in the debate class, you had a 55 Chevy with a big front seat. Yeah, you, you could have done a lot worse, for sure. Could have done worse. Randy? Well, it's funny. You know, you guys have already gone down a couple of the, the roads I wanted to travel today. But one of the things that defines me and cars is the fact that I grew up in Detroit. I was born on the East Coast. My parents moved to Detroit before I was one year old. My first memories are from Detroit, Michigan. When I was introducing the topic, talking about the 50s, I was one of those 
car kids as far as being in the right place at the right time for American cars. All of my memories as a kid are American cars. John's family being overseas, being exposed to a whole different car marketplace is so completely different than my experience. I moved from Detroit, Michigan to Los Angeles, California in 1965, and that's when I started to see foreign cars. I don't think I saw a Volkswagen Beetle before I moved out of Detroit. So talk about a different background with cars. My first car was a 1964 Chevrolet Corvair. Wow. Whoa, I love Corvairs. A white Corvair with blue seats. And General Motors over the years has been really big into blue. The the cars in the 50s, a lot of the cars in the 50s were blue and shades of blue, turquoise. I think there was one uh, a classic car color that came out of um, General Motors that was even called Malibu Blue. Anyway, so my first car was a GM car, not the most popular car, but it was pretty cool for a, a high schooler. I bought this car when I was a junior in, in high school. That was a cool enough car. My parents, they had GM cars, but none of them were ever cool. <laughs> <laughs> we had a uh, 67 Pontiac Bonneville. That was a monster car, a station wagon. It was absolutely huge. And it wasn't cool at all. Driving that one, I was so glad when I got the 55 Chevy, I never had to drive the Bonnie again. Well, my first car was a 1971 Volkswagen van that I had convinced my dad to buy. And I had to put in about 25%. It cost $2,700. I remember that. And, and I put in 600 The deal was, my dad said, well, I like to go to Baja and go fishing so I can borrow your car anytime I want. So that was my first car. And, and that put me in a lifelong love affair with, with Volkswagen. Gary, tell us more about cars in your formative years. You know, part of Having a car and being a guy in the 60s and high school, particularly in the kind of in the neighborhood that I grew up, you were measured by your mechanical skills. If you could do your own tune-ups, that was great, you know, because back then you spent to spend a lot of time screwing around changing the oil and the points and the plugs and filters. I mean, today's cars are a piece of cake compared to the to the old cars. But you 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 know, you proved your stuff by being able to tune up your car. You finally had to get to the point where could you do a serious repair? And someday over three beers, guys, I'm going to tell you about a repair I did on a 57 Pontiac Bonneville that turned into be an absolute, well, actually it wasn't a disaster. It was actually hilarious. I wish Car Talk were still on because I'd call in and tell them about this exercise. It's a great story. It's a fun story, but that's for later. My second car was an Austin Mini. I discovered foreign cars. Oh, wow. In, in 1967. So my first car was an American car, a Corvair. I, then I owned a Ford Falcon. And then my first foreign car was a Volkswagen Beetle in the early 70s, which I loved. And then I bought my favorite car of all time. I bought a 1966 Volkswagen camper van, a Westphalia camper van, which was the coolest car I ever had. And it's still to this day my favorite, just because I never felt 
cooler than when I was driving that car. People loved it. And it was just an atrocious, wonderful beast of a car, slower than you can imagine. But I never enjoyed driving more than that. In my Volkswagen camper van, I am driving from Los Angeles north on um, Interstate 5 down what they call the grapevine. You're going from elevation down into yep. you know Central Valley of California. It's at night. I am in the car with my friend. Coming downhill, I shift the car into neutral, and I just coast down the hill, thinking, this is the fastest I'm ever going to go in this car. I'm going to see how <laughs> fast it goes. And you guys both know this because you both had a similar vehicle, right? Same vintage and everything. Um, you're sitting over the front tires. You're the weight holding the car down. As this car picked up speed, this is gravity talking. This is not the power of the engine. I got this car up to 82 miles an hour. I'm sitting on top of the front axle, as is my friend in the passenger seat, and we realized we are keeping this car from floating off the ground. <laughs> it was thrilling and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> I probably set the land speed record for a 1966 Volkswagen microbus. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying. Why would you even trust the brakes in a Volkswagen down the grapevine of all places? I mean, I guess you get a nice long run out. I was 20 years old. I'm not, I'm not thinking about the future. I'm thinking about how fast can this car go now? You were immortal. Do you mind if I hijack this a little bit, Randy, and go back to this theme of, of cars being so defining for guys? Yeah, absolutely. We didn't apologize to the women who listen to our show who probably really don't care about three old guys nattering on about cars. You might not think so, but I'm sure in our comments and the follow-up to this segment, we're going to hear from a lot of ladies who have the same sort of emotional attachments to their first cars. I think it's a pretty common coming-of-age sort of a thing in America. I don't think so. I, I'd be willing to bet that we get comments like, okay, guys, this was boring. I don't, I've never met a woman who cared as much about cars as guys do. I mean, they've maybe liked their cars. They thought about their cars. But for men, it was so it's been so defining. And if you think about the history of the cars that you've owned over your lifetime, they really changed. I think it's kind of fascinating. You go back and you as you go through your different stages of your life, you realize you're, the car you were driving was defining who you were. All right, so give me an example of that for you. My example is I went from bugs to buses to basically just a range of Volkswagens. And then I ended up going to work for a decent living at a professional managerial class type job, right? So suddenly you have a steady income. You're not just scratching things out. And you decide to upscale your cars. So I went to an Audi Quattro. And that kind of defined me as moving upscale into my into the car world. And as time passes, I ended up buying BMWs. BMWs are great cars. A lot of money wasted on a car when I could have done something simpler, but they were great cars. But I was a BMW guy. I'll end where I am today, which defines it who I am today in some respect. Today, I have a, a Hyundai SUV. Oh, Gary. I've fallen so far. <laughs> 
we're forgetting about really the most beautiful car period in America was late 50s, early 60s. The American muscle car is a huge, it's more important than the cars we've been talking about. The GTOs. Anything American muscle, and it commands a premium yeah. price to this day. And it was funny, I, I drove foreign cars or I owned a foreign car, but my friends all owned American muscle. And that's what I really learned to work on in cars. If you talk to most guys throughout America um, and gals, that's the first car maybe they owned, and that's the car they really loved. And that's why muscle continues to call premium prices. There's a there's a rule in the car business about 30 years after you own a car you want the car back and you're willing to spend ridiculous amounts of money to get that car back. So American Muscle in the 60s and 70s now that's what people have been buying in the last say decade. Now I'm going to switch topics and ask Gary, would you ever own an electric car? Yeah, sure. actually, that was the that was sort of the where we were going with this when I kind of blocked this show out. I wanted to talk about the cars that we might buy. We talked about all the cars that we've owned, but what about in the future, Gary? When you see yourself buying another car, what kind of car is that? It would definitely be an electric car. It wouldn't be a Tesla for all sorts of reasons, not the least of which is Elon Musk. But for other reasons, <laughs> I wouldn't buy a Tesla. I don't think it's the greatest and the best are, are you car in, in the world. Are you and Elon still like squabbling? Oh, yeah, we are. Right. <sighs> yeah, don't sugarcoat it. How do you really feel about Elon? I'm, no, we, this is a family show. <laughs> oh, I can't expe okay. express okay. quite how okay. I feel. But I would buy an electric car in a New York Minute. Something like a Chevy, Chevy Bolt be a great little car because it's no longer defining. It's just a utility. It's, it gets me from point A to point B. Gets me down to Trader Joe's. All right. So I've got a hankering for an electric car. And if you were to ask me, what's the next new car I buy? I would say electric. The one I want is the Volkswagen ID Buzz, which is going to come out, I think, in 2024. And it is the electric version reimagined, re-engineered for the 21st century the electric version of the Volkswagen Microbus, which I think might be the perfect way for me to end my, my car owning days because it's electric, it's new, it's cool, and it's a better version of what I think is my favorite, still my favorite car of all time. Yeah, I think my car would be, I, I know it'll be an electric. I'm not sure what I would get. And uh, that's a tough call. So we've had fun today talking about cars. We hope you enjoyed the ride. We enjoyed riding with you down memory lane. Thanks very much, John Foster. We enjoyed having you on Camp Codger today. I had a blast. Thanks for having me. This is really a lot of fun. If you've got comments, we sure would love to hear from you. Please leave comments on the website or wherever your podcasts come from. And join us next week on Camp Codger. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, sign up at campcodger.com to receive email updates about new episodes. As always, we would be delighted if you left a comment below. You can also join the fun by checking out Camper Corner on our website.